Hey leaders, before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you about a free event that I'm hosting, your personal leadership audit live workshop. I've put the workshop together because if you want to stand out as an exceptional leader, you have to know yourself inside and out. Understanding your strengths and weaknesses is critical. And for that, you need a high degree of self-awareness and a commitment to self-reflection. Now, if you're committed to unlocking your leadership potential, then working through a self-assessment like this is going to help you to quickly identify a path to higher impact. I'll be leading you through a deep dive into the seven imperatives of my No Bullshit Leadership Framework, so that by the end of the session, you'll know exactly what areas you need to develop if you really want to stand out from the crowd. We're only opening up 150 spots, so register now at yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. That's yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more. Access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 215 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, results or people, which is more important? Now, I've got to tell you, I really like Adam Grant. He comes up with some really thoughtful, intelligent, and insightful opinions on leadership and organizational behavior. His podcast, Work Life, isn't on my high rotation list, but I do try to catch the odd episode. And whenever I do, I find myself thinking two things. The first is, wow, 
that is so good, but it would be so easy to misinterpret. And the second thing is, wow, I agreed 100% with you, right up until the point that you said X. Now, the crunch for me always comes when there's the inevitable trade-off between doing the things that make people happy and getting outcomes for your organisation. The underlying philosophy seems to be that if you simply care for your people and treat them well, you'd be surprised at how well they perform. Now, this is dangerously true, but the cracks start to appear when this approach becomes the ends rather than the means. So today, I want to explore a particular quote from Adam Grant in detail because I think it's absolutely critical to think about this in the right way if you want to both get results and make your people happy. This is absolutely not an either-or. So I'm going to start by looking at the quote that got my creative juices flowing. I'll then take a quick fly over the top of the age-old tension between labour and capital, and I'll finish by asking, what makes people truly happy? And the counterintuitive way to achieve this as a leader. So, let's get into it. Let's start with a look at that quote from Adam Grant. Now, as I was scrolling through LinkedIn, I found it on a quote card and it said, Employees are not resources to manage. They are humans to value. Bad managers only care about results. Good managers care about your well-being. Great managers care more about your well-being than your results. We do our best work when leaders put people above performance. I'm going to look at this quote in detail. And I realise that it's a little unfair because, as I know from my own social media experiences, you can only put so much detail and clarification on a quote card. The object of the exercise here is to challenge people's thinking, not to comprehensively explain complex principles of leadership and organisational behaviour. So allow me a little bit of latitude here. My intent is not to be in any way critical of a man who so clearly brings so much value to so many people. I just want to give my no-bullshit spin to make sure those very useful principles aren't misinterpreted, because they can be unbelievably dangerous. Let's start with the opening line. Employees are not resources to manage, they're humans to value. Okay, well I have a slightly different spin on this. Employees are both. They are absolutely humans to value, but they're also resources to manage, and I think that the human element has to be the primary focus. But this opens the door for weak leaders to say to themselves, oh good, to be a really good manager, I just need to keep my people happy. And this leads to all sorts of ills. That weak, permissive leadership style where ambition is low, results are poor, and performance is mediocre. Leaders are paid to achieve results for their organisation. Not to run a daycare centre, not to hold group therapy sessions, not to program the entertainment schedule for the team each week. You simply can't ignore results, only to rationalise this by saying to yourself, I'm valuing my people instead. That is the fast path to failure. Okay, the next part of the quote. Bad managers only care about results. Good managers care about your well-being. Great managers care more about your well-being than your results. Okay. There are a lot of reasons why bad managers are bad managers. Now, in my experience, bad managers aren't so much focused on the trade-off between results and their people's well-being. 
they're more focused on their own self-interest, which severely impairs both results and people's well-being. Now, the paradox here is that unless you care about your people, unless you put the good of the team above your own narrow self-interest, unless you connect with people the right way and lead them with empathy, not sympathy, just be careful here, unless you put the long-term results of your team ahead of expediency and short-term gratification, you won't be able to get results anyway. And you certainly won't be the best leader for your people either. My experience is that in order to achieve the best results possible, it's intrinsically linked to leading your people with care, empathy, and compassion, but also leading them with the strength to hold them to account for the choices they make, to enforce a high standard of behavior and performance, to put the good of the team above the good of an individual who makes a choice to behave or perform poorly. This is why the statement that great managers care more about your well-being than your results is so dangerous. And the final part of the quote, we do our best work when leaders put people above performance. Okay, well, in my mind, that's just not true. In actual fact, leaders are at their best when they understand the synergy between people and performance. Now, we know that as humans, we're not particularly good at working out what's best for us. We constantly struggle against our drive for short-term gratification, which we often know deep down isn't in our long-term best interests. Our behaviours become entrenched well before we see the long-term detriment that those behaviours can bring. And in the long term, happiness is elusive. Remember that quote from Rosalind Carter that I reference from time to time. A leader takes people where they want to go. A great leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go, but where they ought to be. Let's have a look at the tension of labour versus capital. Now, we're still part of a centuries-old struggle between these two forces. Who takes the lion's share of economic profits from production? Is it the labour, that is, the people who are employed to do the work, in the form of wages and perks? Or is it capital, the people who create and fund the businesses and provide employment for those people? Of course, they take it in the form of shareholder returns, capital growth and dividends. Trying to strike a balance is a natural tension that's been with us for a really long time, and it's not going to change anytime soon, right? Historically, this struggle has its roots in the technological progress and innovation of our forefathers. The first industrial revolution in the mid-18th century saw the transition from making goods by hand to using machines. And the second industrial revolution in the latter part of the 19th century continued this trend as production lines... Uh, electrical grid systems and advanced machinery became prevalent, making it even more efficient to produce goods. Now, in this phase of economic prosperity, the balance of power was very clearly in favour of capital, the owners and investors of the businesses. More often than not, labour was treated poorly, not just in terms of the employee's share of the profits, but also in terms of what, in some cases, was a callous disregard for these people's well-being and safety. And this provided the catalyst for the labour union movement. And in those days, it was a turning point. The ability to bring the collective power of employees together in strike action for better wages and safer conditions was fundamental to getting to where we are today. Now, these days, the problems that existed in the late 19th century are pretty much gone. Well, at least in the developed world. In this day and age, if you don't treat your people well, they'll simply vote with their feet. It's a completely different ballgame. 
because of the high liquidity of employment markets and the mobility of labour. These days, most of the evils that the owners of capital used to visit upon their employees have disappeared, and the playing field is much more level. The environment's also much more complicated. For example, employees still receive wages, of course, but they're also holders of capital, either directly through share market investing or indirectly through the investments made by their superannuation funds and 401ks. So optimising one will detract from the other. Sort of interesting, right? If a company overpays its employees, which, hey, let's face it, sounds like a noble cause, those same employees may have less retirement funds available due to reduced profits. And if a company isn't able to compete, well, it'll eventually go broke. Those same employees who we want to pay more may be out of a job. So perhaps people before profits works in the short term, but the long-term picture may be a little different. Now, of course, I've oversimplified this to make a point, but you get what I mean, right? The modern world of share markets, innovation, and legislative protection for workers has really changed the landscape we operate in. And we need to be aware of this delicate balance in both the short term and the long term. Now, to bring this argument up to date, I just want to touch on a really interesting article that I came across recently in The Economist. It was entitled, Labour versus Capital in the Post-Lockdown Economy. Economic output must flow either to owners of the capital in the form of profits, dividends and rents, or to labour as wages, salaries and perks. So, which of the two has the upper hand in the post-lockdown economy? Employees are fighting for higher wages to combat inflation. Well, and because they can. Businesses are being squeezed by the higher prices they're forced to pay for almost every one of their inputs, including their cost of labour. Prices are rising for pretty much everything we buy. The increase in prices and the flow of money into the economy creates inflation, and the cycle continues. Now, in 2020, the scales moved radically in favour of labour. Businesses continued to pay wages while output and profits declined. And this was only made possible by government stimulus payments, which is where we start pumping up the inflation balloon. Since then, many countries have swung back to pre-pandemic norms. So, for example, uh, wages growth is still low in countries like Australia and Japan. But businesses there aren't creaming extraordinary profits either. In the US, though, wages growth is strong, somewhere around the 5% mark. But it seems that companies are also retaining their profit margins. So perhaps the stimulus spending has been large enough for long enough to keep everything ticking along. But it's going to be really interesting to see whether the two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth in the US, which the government insists does not constitute a recession anymore, is the start of a continuing trend. So what does this have to do with anything? Well, the people before profit sentiment that we see writ large in almost every piece of information we consume suggests that people, meaning employees, should take precedence over profit or the owners of the capital who make business possible. It's rarely as simple as we're led to believe, though. The problem is the nobility of the virtue signal, people before profits, is almost impossible to dispute. And 99.9% of people won't dispute it. If they did, they might be seen as being callous or uncaring or unempathetic. (laughs) But when I hear this, it just raises more questions for me. What people are you talking about when you say people before profits? 
It's designed in most cases, I guess, to mean employees, but every organization in every sector has a wide range of stakeholders. For example, imagine for a moment that you're running a not-for-profit organization, which provides social services to people in a low socioeconomic community. When you take the people before profits path, you may be focused on pleasing your employees, so you allow them to operate to low standards with low levels of productivity. This inefficiency effectively robs the people in the community that you're trying to serve. Well, how about those people? Or, let's say you massively increase your wages bill because you want to give your employees more money. Your prices rise, and that hurts your customers. So, how about those people? Or, if you decide to keep prices static, but you take a big wages hit on your P&L, the shareholders, who as we know, are often also employees, make lower returns on their investments. So, how about those people? The moral of the story is, Stay awake. Question everything, even when it seems too sensible or noble to question. The world isn't black and white. It's an annoying tapestry of a thousand shades of grey. Okay, I want to wrap this up by returning to our original quote and working out how to bring a sensible balance to the people versus results dilemma. Let's start with long-term versus short-term benefits. Now, for many organizations, short-termism dominates thinking and decision-making, and we know that this doesn't necessarily produce the best results. Making people happy in the short term isn't really hard. You can make your employees happy easily, double their wages, move them on to a 30-hour week, rent state-of-the-art office space with a six-star green rating and everything that opens and shuts, Uh, give them free meals from an a la carte menu whenever they're on site, fill the fridge in the break room with ice-cold craft beer. Like, that'll work. But unless you're a tech unicorn with seemingly endless capital to squander, your business won't be in business for long. You're competing with other businesses, and if they're operating with a lower cost base, regardless of your strategy, you'll get into strife eventually. When we hear that we should put people first before results, it opens the door to weak and permissive leadership, as I said. Many leaders conveniently interpret putting people first as an excuse for simply satisfying their immediate wants, of course, at the expense of results. But let's look at this same scenario from your employee's perspective. What makes people truly happy isn't any of this stuff. That'll give them a short-term sugar-hit type of happiness, but they won't ever feel a deep, long-term satisfaction. That only comes from leading your people to achieve difficult things. Now, in my view, this is the source of all self-esteem, attempting and achieving difficult things. Without it, you'll never be truly happy. And I've worked for more than one company where the workers were grossly overpaid, yet strangely still completely miserable. Can you imagine being paid over $200,000 a year as a truck driver and still feeling miserable and unappreciated. Well, it's not that hard to understand once you realise that there's more to it than those temporal superficial incentives. If you really want to put people first, then paradoxically, the only way to do it is through achieving results. Stretching every individual to be their best. Leading them to produce outcomes that they can be proud of. 
giving them a boost of self-esteem that they wouldn't ever get if it weren't for your support, encouragement and drive. You have to have ambition for them. You create opportunities for them by running a company that grows and prospers, where they'll always have an option to be employed if they want it. Holding a high standard of performance so that your best people don't become demotivated or discouraged. Now, this sounds like a little bit of a chicken and egg thing. Does people stretching come first before results? Do results come first and then people stretch? I mean, think of it this way, right? Do you get really motivated and then decide to go to the gym? Or do you go to the gym and work on it until the motivation comes when you start seeing results? It's absolutely the latter in my mind. And remember, the concept of putting people first, even if you only look at the narrowest view of employees, is still complicated. Because your high performers want you to build a team where results have primacy. They want to be on a winning team and they want to play with A players. They don't want to be held back by recalcitrant teammates who are choosing not to do the right thing. The question for you as a leader is, which of these do you want to serve? Now, it's a hell of a lot easier to just go with the flow and believe that people before results is the great leader's mantra. But the truth isn't quite so simple. It's absolutely vital to differentiate between individuals. The autonomous collective, as Monty Python called it, simply doesn't produce results. High performers become disgruntled, and low performers know they have a safe haven to behave or perform however they please. Results don't live in this world, so it certainly kills that argument pretty effectively. If you really care about your people, you'll put their long-term satisfaction and self-esteem ahead of your own self-interest, and you'll lead them with empathy and compassion to where they ought to be. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 215. I got a bit passionate about that one, didn't I? Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. Hopefully I've done that today for you. But please share this episode with another leader who you know is going to benefit from it. I'm really looking forward to next week's episode because it's called High Impact Decisions. Getting it right when it counts the most. Until then, I know you take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader.